You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's good, everybody? Welcome to another off-day debrief, part of the SB Nation NFL show, brought to you by DraftKings. I am Rob Stats Guerrero, and with me, as always, on this Tuesday is Brandon Lee Gowton. What's up, BLG? Stats, it's hard to believe December is already here, for me, at least. I feel like we're just beginning the season, uh, but here we are. There's cold weather, not only uh, here, where I am, but around the NFL, and it's impacting games. Yeah, we absolutely saw it in Buffalo last night. We're going to get into all of that. But before we begin, I want to remind you that the SB Nation NFL show is brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. DraftKings Sportsbook is an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app today and use code SBNNFL for a special offer when you sign up. That is code SBNNFL only at DraftKings Sportsbook. All right, BLG, we have a ton to break down. As we always do on this show, we break down the Monday night football game, and then we will reset the state of the league with the only 100% accurate power rankings in the entire NFL podcast kingdom. And we cannot break down one of the weirdest games that we've seen on Monday night football without a little help. So we bring in Mark Schofield from Pat's Pulpit to help us break down a game that we haven't seen in the NFL in like 47 years, pretty much. Because there were 40-mile-an-hour gusts, Mark. This was a ridiculous game between the Patriots and the Bills. Good morning, gentlemen. It was absolutely a ridiculous game. If you see me sort of wincing, it's because my shoulder hurts from charting all of New England's three passing attempts and breaking them down. Um, Bill Belichick, we probably should have known this was coming because Bill Belichick, obviously a, a fan of the game, a historian when it comes to the game, he was wearing a Naval Academy face mask prior to the game. So we should have known that Bill Belichick was going to come out and run basically a Navy offensive gameplay because the Patriots, with these wins, threw it just three times, ran it like 49 times, and it worked. Will it work in a couple of weeks when these teams meet again? I don't know. But Bill Belichick will find a way to adapt. And if it's like, you know, sunny at 55 degrees, they'll probably throw it 50 times. Who knows? But a strange game, a surreal game, but an important game because now New England – you know, they, they went into this game atop the AFC East. Now they have a game in hand against Buffalo. Now they get their bye week to sort of rest up before their final stretch. In a crazy year, is it that outlandish to think that New England somehow ends up the number one seed in the AFC? Right now, it's not outlandish at all. They're right there right now, Mark. And my question for you, I guess, is like, how are Patriots fans feeling? What is the ceiling on this team? Because uh, as I talked about many a time, my good friend Stats here, uh, I always thought he was crazy when he thought like the 49ers could be Super Bowl contenders if they're starting Trey Lance. Because I'm like, you have a ceiling with a rookie quarterback typically in the playoffs. Like rookie quarterbacks don't thrive in the playoffs often. Uh, it's, it's just not what 
happens when you look at the history of the league. So, you know, with Mac Jones here, but then you have a game like this where you don't even need him to win. And obviously it's a a very special circumstance of a game. But like, what is the ceiling for this Patriots team, uh, even if they do get the number one seed? Yeah, Brandon, it's still, I think, something that's a bit of an unknown. You know, if the Patriots had won last night, and it was sort of normal playing conditions and Jones had to make some throws and maybe he makes some good reads and decisions and throws. Maybe he makes a mistake or two, but they win the game. You'd think, all right, well, now he's had that game where he's tested a bit. This is a very talented defense, one of the best defenses in the league in terms of DVOA, and he found a way to win. Okay, you could feel that this, yeah, this could be a Super Bowl team. It's still, I think, a bit of an uncertainty because I'm not sure that if these two teams meet again or against a different team in the AFC, maybe like Kansas City with how their defense has rebounded, you know, they could have the same game plan and win. So I think it's still a bit of uncertainty. But at this point in the season, when you're atop the AFC overall and you're going into your bye, the late bye, and, you know, they have the Colts, they have the Bills again, but it's still after that a favorable schedule. You could think, okay, this team could make a run. Belichick will find a way to have this team be successful in a playoff game, in a couple of playoff games. But I think it's still somewhat of an uncertainty because you just don't know what you're going to get from the rookie quarterback if he is tested. Now, maybe what the, what happens in the playoffs if they make it, if they play a couple of different playoff games, maybe this game plan could work. I'm just not so sure that they could run the football 50 times in normal conditions and win. At some point, you'd think Mac Jones will have to make some throws. But he has gotten better each week. So, so there has been some development. But I think to your overall point, it's still a bit of an unknown. I just can't get over what we saw. Three pass attempts for Mac Jones. That is the fewest by anybody in any game since 1974. Do you think there was a part of Belichick? Because I think they had, what, one pass attempt in the first half? I almost wonder if Belichick was like, you know what? I've played, I've coached a ton of games. Uh, Let's see if I can pull this off with only throwing one pass or or like three passes. You know, Larry Bird back in the day used to get bored and be like, I'm going to play this game left-handed. Or what's the scoring record in this building? Do you think there's a part of Belichick that was like, man, let's see if we could do it with three passes? I mean, it's entirely possible. Like I said, the man is a historian of the game. And so I'm sure he knew exactly when, you know, the fewest pass attempts at a win that that game was. I'm sure he probably could tell you about it. He's probably got a copy of it on his shelf in his office. You know, I do think that their last two pass attempts came on their like second to last drive, really. They were back-to-back plays. Uh, the first throw was a simple five-yard flat route, and the ball, it was into the wind. The ball sort of sailed and got taken away, and John o. Smith had to basically make an Odell Beckham-type catch on a five-yard throw to the flat, which tells you what it was like to throw in those conditions. And so Belichick might have saw that play and think, thought, look, you know, we just we just can't trust where this ball is going right now because of this wind. Mac Jones has an NFL average arm. We saw Josh Allen, though, the ability with his elite arm can still – cut through the wind, but even some of his throws moved, like the back shoulder late in the game where he threw it on an absolute line and it still went five yards and sailed out of bounds. And Stephon Diggs is like, what can I do? I'm open, but you know, so, you know, when Josh Allen is struggling with his velocity, Matt Jones is going to have some problems. A lot of other NFL quarterbacks will have some problems. So to your point, Belichick probably saw that first throw and thought, unless we absolutely have to throw it, we're just going to run it and take our chances with our defense because they're struggling to throw it too. So watching the Patriots from afar, you know, it's easy to be like, okay, Belichick again, or, you know, Mac Jones playing well. But I want to know, you know, from your perspective, you know, being uh, having a, the more intimate knowledge of the team, who is someone, could be coaching staff, players, who do you think maybe someone is like one of the more underrated uh, uh, cogs in uh, the Patriots' success this year? Yeah, it's a great question. I think you have to look at the defense. 
I mean, getting Dante Hightower back is huge because so much of what they do defensively starts at the second level. He's, you know, the green dot guy, the heart and soul of their defense, the captain of their defense. Um, a lot of what they do builds from him. Obviously, Matthew Judon, his 11 and a half sacks going into Monday night, a huge acquisition for them. They've been able to get pressure with Ford. He's a big part of that. But then you look at the defensive line, you know, Christian Barmore, who they drafted in the second round, the first defensive lineman taken. He's been very impressive. Lawrence Guy, who had a fumble recovery against Buffalo. He's been very impressive. Godshaw, who they signed from Miami. He had a huge night against Buffalo, helping stop the run. And then Jawan Bentley, their linebacker, who's more of a run stopper. But a lot of what they do from a run stop, run fit perspective starts with him. Very violent when he works downhill against run action. And so, look, this, this was a game that they won up front, both on offense and defense. Their offensive line has been a big part of their winning streak. They play with six offensive linemen using Michael Wendu as a tight end, I think 65% of the time against Buffalo. So their offensive line has been good. Their defense has been great. And it's those guys on the defensive front that have been such a huge part of this win streak. How good is that defense? Because I saw a note before we popped on that they hadn't allowed a second half point in four straight games before last night. That is incredible. Are they that good or is it mostly a mix of a good defense and a schedule that maybe isn't the strongest? I, I think that's the more accurate point, Rob. Like it's a good defense. Don't get me wrong. But look, you're talking about during this win streak, they saw the Jets to start it when, you know, Zach Wilson was sort of banged up. Then you get the Chargers, which that's an impressive win, but okay, that's one game. Then you get Sam Darnold throwing three picks, including a pick six and another pick in the end zone. Then you get Baker Mayfield, who's banged up, and you blow out Cleveland because they're just dinged. They were hurt at that time going into the game. Atlanta on a short week without Cordell Patterson, without Calvin Ridley, so you could basically triple-team Kyle Pitts and take him away. Um, Tennessee without Derrick Henry is obviously not the Tennessee Titans we know. And then this game Monday night against the Bills. I mean, yes, they've won seven straight games. It's hard to win games in the NFL. And when you're holding teams in this day and age to those kinds of numbers, it's impressive. But I do think you need to give it that context. They're a very good defense, don't get me wrong. But they've benefited from playing some teams without some top-tier players, playing some teams with rookie quarterbacks or having questions at the quarterback position, playing some teams with hurt quarterbacks or quarterbacks that are really struggling like Sam Donald. So they've been beneficiaries of a, a schedule that has been favorable but it's still a very good defense. They'll be tested in two weeks with Indianapolis with what they can do in the ground game. That's going to be an absolute battle up front. I wouldn't want to be, you know, in the stands watching that. You might get hurt from shrapnel flying your way. Um, and then they'll get Buffalo again. You know, they get Jacksonville in Miami to roll things out. But it's a good defense, but they've benefited from that schedule a bit. Uh, last one from me, Mark. And obviously, listeners here, if you don't already, you can check out Mark. First of all, in like a billion places, but most importantly at Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed where we'll be talking about the <laughs> Gardner Minshew, Jalen Hurts conversation uh, this week with our uh, obviously fantastic contributor, producer, uh, Rachel Prevet. But uh, before you go, Mark, I want to ask you a question here that I've been thinking about. And it is, let's say, you know, let's just assume the Patriots do get the one seed, uh, which feels like a crazy thing to say. <laughs> and who is the team that might scare you the most? Like, who's the team the Patriots don't want to play? And I feel like you might say the Chiefs. So if it is the Chiefs, then I need another answer than the Chiefs. Yeah, I mean, generally speaking, it's the Chiefs. I mean, I think that's similar to New England. The Kansas City Chiefs seem to be figuring things out as we get into November and December, which is, you know, kind of what you want to do as a football team. That's what Belichick has traditionally done, used September as sort of an extended preseason. Kansas City has really figured it out on the defensive side of the ball, I think, which has in turn helped Patrick Mahomes set a little bit. But outside of them, look, Buffalo still scares me. I mean, mm. last night, they had a chance to win that game, even in those conditions, even 
you know, with New England just going one dimensional and kind of having some success running the football, Buffalo was still in it. And I do think that until I see New England sort of beat Buffalo in a normal game setting, you know, that team is going to scare me. A Tennessee Titans team that has Derrick Henley, Henry healthy is still very terrifying because that's a team that, look, for whatever you want to say about the Patriots, they have had some struggles at times stopping the run. And you get Derrick Henry back, you get that play-action passing game going. You can see sort of Tennessee giving them some struggles. And honestly, look, until they're gone, Baltimore. Uh, Because Mm. you just – Bill Belichick defenses have always had trouble with the Baltimore Ravens under Lamar Jackson. They've always had trouble with athletic quarterbacks, quarterbacks. They play so much man coverage. When you turn your backs to the quarterback, you have a quarterback like Lamar Jackson, you saw it a couple of times with Josh Allen on Monday night that could run and create. With, look, even back in 2017, Blake Bortles had some success against the New England Patriots in an AFC championship game until the Jaguars got super conservative in the second half. And so those are the types of teams that's still scary, guys with athletic quarterbacks and Mahomes, Jackson, Allen, they're very athletic quarterbacks. Those are the three teams that, if you're right, and they somehow get this one seed, would still have me a little bit worried come kickoff. Mark Schofield from Pat's Pulpit. You can see him a million other places as well. You have already broken down and put on Twitter every single throw from Mac Jones in last night's game. I don't every know. Single one, just every single one. <laughs> How did you find the time? I, I woke up early. I was up before the kids and everybody else was awake. I was up before sunrise to, uh, to break down all three throws. It was a slog, but we got through it, friends. We got through it together. <laughs> Thanks for the time, Mark. Thanks so much, guys. Before we move on, BLG, let's just talk about this game from a Bills perspective for a little bit because I agree with what Mark said. They had chances to win this game. I thought the reason they lost the game was once they got in the red zone, they were hideously bad. Whether it was penalties, whether it was play selection, they were passing a couple of times, which I thought was absolutely nuts because Josh Allen was under pressure a lot of the night. Like they just really faltered in those critical spots, but they had opportunities to win the game. I would say that, uh, you know, in life, probably as people, we don't recognize enough that more than one thing can be true. And I, for, I believe like the Patriots deserve to win this game, but the, at the same time, like the Bills deserve to lose this game. They played losing football to me. Um, and I think there were a lot of issues as you touched on. I really didn't like some of the decisions by Sean McDermott in this game, who we crushed after the AFC championship game last year, being a little too conservative. I know mm-hmm. it was, so it's fourth and goal at the 15, they kicked the 33 yard field goal. They miss. I know it's like from the 15 yard line, but it's in the wind, man. There's these huge wind gusts. Like I, I don't want to put the games in the hand of the kicker. I would rather put the games in the hand of Josh Allen, who for as inconsistent he can be. And obviously again, it's not ideal throwing situations either. He still might be able to make a play. And he almost did at the end of the game when Dawson Knox, who had more than one big drop in this game, uh, dropped the ball. So uh, I, I didn't, and, and just the BLE big loser energy from Sean McDermott after the game too where he's asked being asked about Bill Belichick or whatever and he's like oh we don't have to give him more credit than we do or whatever like just I hate the vibe coming off the Bills uh well from the game as a whole and then after this game just it doesn't feel good to me yeah you know I my my love of Sean McDermott is kind of starting to dim a little bit for all the reasons that you said they have not won consecutive games Buffalo since October they're five and five now against the AFC which is a big deal because conference record is the second tiebreaker after head-to-head they've lost four out of their last seven games 
they got to right the ship somehow in Buffalo. And they seem to be so talented. It's crazy that they are this inconsistent to me. And when you have talented players with inconsistency, I do kind of look back at the head coach a little bit with a side eye. Do you think the Bills definitely make the playoff stats? Because right now, obviously, they're the seventh seed. They're seven and five. Uh, they're just ahead of the Steelers. The Colts are coming on. Like, you know, the, the Raiders are still hanging around, even though they just lost. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm looking at the, you know, the rest of the schedule here. Buffalo ranks like middle of the pack in terms of strength of schedule, literally 16th. They still have to play the Bucks and the Patriots, obviously, again. They do get some easier games in the Jets, Falcons, and, and Panthers. So maybe uh, just because of nature, by nature of that, they do end up getting in here. But I mean, you know, this is a team that was supposed to like, you know, get back to the AFC championship game, you know, and right the wrongs and, and like, you know, make up for that missed opportunity last year. But the more I think about it, and I don't want to put all of the Bills' struggles on Josh Allen, but like when I when I look at this team, I feel like the Bills kind of missed their opportunity to capitalize on the Josh Allen version of the Carson Wentz 2017 season. When you're having a quarterback, you know, playing at his highest level that he probably ever will, and I, I just don't know if he's going to get back to that. And that team as a whole is going to get back to that level. Things change in the NFL, and it feels like you know. Uh, with the Patriots winning on Monday night, it's kind of like cementing that this isn't the Bills, you know, next great era of the Bills, and it, it is the Patriots division again. That's not to say Buffalo like, won't be a competitive team that's in the mix for the playoffs, but like, you know, this was supposed to be the year that they cement themselves as like the team in the AFC East, and they didn't do that. I uh, just look at their schedule this year. All their big games, the only one that they won was against the Chiefs. They yeah. lost to the Steelers in week one. They lost to the Titans. They lost to the Colts, which could be huge when you're talking about tiebreakers in the AFC. And they lost this game to the Patriots. And I know the conditions were crazy, but whatever. They still lost it. They have not shown up in big moments most of the time this year. And so that's how you get in this situation you're in right now, where you're, you know, holding on to a playoff spot with your fingernails in the AFC. All right. Let's take a break. When we come back, we will get into the only 100% accurate power rankings in the entire NFL podcast kingdom. And we have our MVP and LVP points of the week. And I think you and I are about to fight. <laughs> I can't wait. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Back here on the off day debrief. Okay, BLG, let's get into the power rankings, which are up on bleedinggreennation.com now. You should definitely go there and check them out. We tell you they are full of good information for you. So definitely go there. Not now. This is our time. After the show, <sighs> go check it out. And uh, you will be a smarter football fan. Let me read the top 10 for you, and then we can get into it. Cardinals 1, Packers 2, Bucks 3, 
Patriots four, fresh off their win. Kansas City five, Tennessee six. The Rams are at seven. The Cowboys are at eight. The Ravens are at nine. And the Colts, the Mm. Indianapolis Colts are at 10. How'd that make you feel when you got to give your guy, Carson Wentz, your favorite (laughs) quarterback in the league, kind of a little bit of love? No, I don't. (laughs) Because he's not the reason they're winning games. It's Jonathan Taylor. I mean, Carson Wentz isn't, you know, obviously like messing it up royally, but I truly believe, like I wrote in my rankings here, I mean, I think Jonathan Taylor, I think he should be the MVP. Like that's where I, I am right now. And I know maybe that sounds crazy for a running back, but to me, the Colts aren't even in a position to make the playoffs without him. Like he is breaking records. He has overtaken Derrick Henry, who obviously it's helping that Derrick Henry isn't playing as like the best running back in the NFL. And as a very high bar to clear, by the way, uh, I think Jonathan Taylor is the man. And I know it's only the Texans. So, you know, like it's not like they have this crazy impressive win this week, but the Colts are in position here to make the playoffs. I feel like the way things are kind of trending for them, they are going to find a way to capitalize and sneak in, which is very inconvenient as someone who uh, is rooting for them to miss the playoffs because then the Eagles will not get a better draft pick from the Carson Wentz trade, which, by the way, is about to go through. It, like, just missed clinching this week's stats. If, if Carson Wentz didn't get uh, pulled for Sam Ellinger at the end of that game because, you know, the Colts were uh, had uh, pulled him because, you know, garbage time and whatever, he would have crossed the 75%. Uh, I, I'm hoping he, he does when he comes back in week 15 against the Patriots. They have a bye this week just like the Eagles do. So, uh, so yeah, there you go. So you think I need to give more credit to Carson Wentz? Hmm, disagree. Well, I just, you know, it's not it's not often you have a team at top 10 in the league and you don't give any credit to the quarterback whatsoever. I wouldn't say no credit whatsoever, but like he's clearly not the driving force behind the Colts success. 100 percent. 100 percent. I do agree that I think Derrick Henry is a better running back, but he's really, really good. You sent me a nugget before we started on Jonathan Taylor that I couldn't <laughs> believe. I don't want to steal it from you, so I'll let you read it. But I was like stunned when you sent it to me. Jonathan Taylor, one player has scored as many total touchdowns this season as the entire New York Giants offense. Like, think about that. That's crazy. And you said it, multiple things can be true. That is both an incredible nugget for Jonathan Taylor and an incredible (laughs) indictment of the New York Giants offense, which, hooray, Jason Garrett. That's shout out to you. I know he's not there anymore, but largely this is his fault. Mm. So, uh, yeah, that's just fantastic. Jonathan Taylor, there you go. All right. What else in your power rankings was difficult for you this week? I always like to know about the tough decisions. So the Chargers stats, I want to touch on them really quickly because I was thinking about it. And the description I wrote here is a quote you might be familiar with. And I'll just put it like this. Uh, You know, Chargers, just when I thought you couldn't get any dumber, you go and do something like this. And totally redeem yourselves. Like, I feel like the Chargers are the ultimate team where, like, you're just so ready to quit on them because there's like, it's the Chargers. They always disappoint. They're going to disappoint me again. And it looked like they were going to disappoint against the Bengals and blow this lead that they had. And they didn't. And they got a really big win in Cincy. Like, that is, that's a huge win for them in terms of their wild card pursuit. Um, you know, they're currently the fifth seed at seven and five, the top wild card spot. Uh, like it's so frustrating and it's just like Justin Herbert, you know, he's like breaking records. He's becoming the first quarterback to do this and this. And it's just like, you can't go all in on this team because you know, they're going to disappoint you, but you can't quit them either because you know, like they're just, they're almost there. They're not quite over the hump, but they're almost getting there. 
that's the frustrating thing is that you see performances like this. And by the way, I think you have the Chargers at 11 this week in the rankings. And you're just like, yes, this is the kind of team that we all thought you could be coming into the season. This is what we envisioned for you. But they don't do it consistently. And you're right. Like exactly like you said, every time you're ready to, to write them off, they come and they bring you right back. It's like that one shot you hit during your round of golf. The whole day stunk, but you hit that one shot, comes off the club pure, right down the middle of the fairway, right onto the green. And you're like, yes, I can still play this game. I'm good at this game. You're, you're really not, but it's enough to convince you. And so that's where the Chargers are right now. I totally agree that they are a very tough team to get a handle on because they could come out very well, very easily next week, come out and stink up the joint. On the Bengals side of it real quick, I, I would say like I wouldn't if I was a Bengals fan, I feel like I wouldn't feel like incredibly down. I know it was a disappointing loss, but I think they're a team that's still figuring things out. Like they're not fully formed yet. And that's OK. Like this, that doesn't have to be the case. I think they're showing enough encouraging signs that you feel like they're headed in the right direction. They're just not, you know, that quite like elite team. They're not quite a power yet. Uh, I think they're still going to make the playoffs. They're going to find a way, although, you know, it's a competitive field there. Uh, for those AFC wildcard spots. Uh, Staying in the NFC, not NFC, the AFC North stats, I want to touch on the Ravens because I dropped them to number nine. Um, We talk about the Ravens a lot here on the (laughs) SB Nation NFL shows off day debrief because I get painted, you get painted too. Mm -hmm. I think me me more so as a Lamar Jackson hater. Um, Look, man, here's here's the facts. Lamar Jackson, last six games, 72.9 passer rating he has more interceptions 10 than touchdown passes in those games i think the ravens struggles as a whole are clearly not just limited to lamar they're so banged up i don't know if you saw their injury report last week stats it was like just like it was just like a whole people were kidding it looked like the back of like a band t-shirt you know like with all like the the tour dates (laughs) on it it was just like (laughs) it was so long so i'm not putting it on all lamar but like again at the end of the day here like not great enough he didn't throw the pass that needed to be thrown to convert uh, for that two-point conversion and win the game. And, you know, I, and, and I, I just think it's not their year. I think that's very clear with the Ravens. Like, they're just so hurt. Lamar isn't necessarily on his A game. You lose Marlon Humphrey, who is such a good player. Like, it's just, it's not working out for them. They have nine players right now that are out with season-ending injuries. J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards, Justice Hill, Ronnie Stanley, Marcus Peters, L.J. Fort, Deshaun Elliott, Derek Wolf, and Marlon Humphrey. That's insane that they're even still competing, but mm-hmm. I agree. Like, the reason you have an elite, elite quarterback, which we think Lamar is and could be, I mean, he has an MVP already, is because they overcome that stuff. They can still win in those kind of conditions. And you're right, the two-point conversion throw was just a little off because he was open. For sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it just was just not quite where it needed to be. I love the Ravens going for two in that spot. I absolutely love it. It's a hundred percent the right decision. And the, for people that don't get that, you're just never going to get it. They're trying to win the game. All kicking the extra point does is send the game to overtime. That's it. Like, that's not the goal of anything. And I also love taking the intentional offsides that the Ravens did in that game. John Harbaugh is really, really good situationally. It was a beautiful move because it gave the Steelers a first down, yes, but it's kept the clock stopped. That's why they did it because it was, I think it was like second and two. So they just kind of assumed Pittsburgh was going to get the first down. So they took the intentional offsides. The Steelers need to smarten up and decline the penalty, but that's just 
more to do with other teams not understanding how the clock works and clock management, but Lamar needs to pick it up. I, I, you know, you're judging him on a different level than you're judging other quarterbacks. He's in that elite tier. And so those expectations are just a lot higher than they are for other teams. And the conversation going back to like our original point on Lamar is like, he has to get, you're going to pay him after this season and you're going to pay him a huge freaking contract (laughs) and you're paying it to a guy who like, hasn't even been able to get to a championship game in his conference. And you know, the way things are trending for Baltimore this season, I know they're still in the number three spot right now at eight and four. Like, I don't, I don't know if they're even going to get to the AFC championship game this year. I wouldn't say it's impossible because I think Lamar has the potential to carry them uh, that far still, but the vibes just aren't there for me. Um, Moving on to the NFC East stats, a division I am familiar with. I wanted to touch on the Dallas Cowboys, who I have right ahead of the Ravens in these power rankings, and another quarterback who really hasn't been on his A-game lately since returning from that injury and hearkening back to a certain SB Nation NFL uh, host who kind of wondered how Dak Prescott might hold up this season as this season goes along. Dak Prescott has an 87.4 pass rating through his last five games and the Cowboys need him to get back on track like to to be like serious contenders they don't necessarily need him to get back on track to you know beat up on like a lesser team like the Saints like they did on Thursday night football but this week against the Washington football team stats this is a huge game for the Cowboys I think the Cowboys are even if they lose this game they can still you know pretty feasibly win the NFC East but again it kind of goes back to like what I was saying about them on Thanksgiving like if they lose to the Raiders and then the Eagles hadn't blown that game to the Giants, it becomes a conversation all of a sudden. And it's not just a total lock. Um, so I'm really interested to see what the Cowboys do in this game and if Dak can kind of step up and have this big game that he needs to have against the football team. Yeah, I don't know that even though you got the win last week, like how good can you really feel about yourself if you're the Cowboys? Like you beat the Saints and Taysom freaking Hill. Like, And they didn't have Alvin Kamara in there. It was yeah. a win, which is good, and that's fine. But I don't look at Dallas now and be like, oh, now I feel much better about things. They had lost two straight coming into that game. Honestly, I don't know what's going to happen against Washington. I would not be stunned if Washington won that game. I don't think all is well in Big D. I, You know my feelings on McCarthy. I have no faith in him to right the ship in any way whatsoever. I think the burden on Dak is heavier than on a lot of other quarterbacks. I think he kind of holds that team together more than maybe some other quarterbacks and they need him to play not just well they need him to play at an elite level it's a big spot uh the washington defense is playing better recently uh it's coming into form a little bit here especially after being so like unexpectedly horrible early in the season washington's won their last four games which i believe is the longest winning streak in the nfc which is a funny thing to say i bumped washington up from 19th to 15th so over that halfway mark in my power rankings because i think they have some good things going for them right now um not like you know a juggernaut or approaching that taylor heineke does nice things but he had a big drop pick towards the end of that Raiders game, and he had a couple other turnover-worthy plays. Um, so, you know, I still don't believe in him as their long-term guy. But he gives you a chance to be, or at least them, a chance to be competitive. Uh, and I think it's a really, really big game here. I think the Cowboys are not going to sweep this team. And I think RJ would even tell you that, too. Uh, I think Washington steals one of these two games from the Cowboys. Um, could Washington sweep the Cowboys? 
possible. I'm not going to count on that, but I think it's 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 in the realm of possibility, uh, which we've come a long way to be able to say that based on where <laughs> Washington was earlier in the season. So I think it's a huge, huge game. And it's not just me saying this. This isn't like, oh, BLG being an Eagles homer or troll or whatever. I was reading Vlogging the Boys earlier today stats, and they said, like, even like that, you know, we could, the, the Cowboys could win this game or lose this game and still win the NFC East. But like, if they lose this game, this is like a big deal. Like, it's it's a really, really big deal if they lose this game. I totally agree with you, and we'll see where they wind up. You know, talk about all the expectations that there were for the Bills coming into this season. I feel like the expectations for the Cowboys were pretty high, too. Right now, I don't feel like they have been living up to them. You know, obviously, we have to see how the season plays out, but let's see what happens in Washington and what people are saying after that game. All right. Again, you can check out the full power rankings at bleedinggreennation.com, and you definitely should. We're going to move off those for the time being and get to our MVPs and LVP points of the week. You have two MVPs this week, BOG, so I will let you go first. Who was your first MVP? So I'm going to go with who I said earlier, uh, Jonathan Taylor. I mean, he leads the NFL in rushing yards, uh, 1,348. He has the most touchdowns in rushing scores in the NFL with 16. He has an NFL best 52 missed tackles forced. Uh, he has an NFL best 885 yards after contact. So this isn't just the case, you know, oh, the Colts offensive line is really good at run blocking, which it is, I think. But like, it's not just he's not just a product, you know, of uh, the situation there. And then he also has an NFL best. 39 rushes of 10 plus yards so he can rip off these explosive runs. I mean, Jonathan Taylor is a force. Again, I think he should be the MVP. I don't think there's a clear MVP in the league right now. I think, you know, people always want to give it to a quarterback. I don't really think there's someone that obvious. Um, you know, it's, it's going to hurt Jonathan Taylor's case if the Colts can't make the playoffs, but I think they're going to find a way to sneak in much to my chagrin. And I think he should be the actual MVP in addition to getting an MVP point from me here. I think it's a credit to, number one, the way the Colts have built their team. They've invested in the offensive line. That's a huge reason that he's able to do this. I want to give those guys some love. But also, when you're Jonathan Taylor and you are the guy that is keeping opposing defensive coordinators up at night, and you are the guy that they are spending their entire week trying to game plan against, and you still go out and produce at that level, you get a ton of credit from me in my mind. Like I have criticized George Kittle a lot over the past couple of years because I don't think he's been able to do enough. Can people say, well, he gets double teamed. And it's like, well, so what? Like defensive coordinators are game planning all week to stop Jonathan Taylor and nobody can do it. You get a ton of credit in my eyes when you do that. So I agree with you. MVP for you, I get. And I, I honestly understand the MVP talk. I don't think it should automatically go to a quarterback every single year. So you know what? I'm on board with you on that. Very, very good. Okay. My only MVP this week. Mm -hmm. This is going to be a little weird. I think you're going to have a problem with it. Uh oh I'm giving it to a guy that only played seven snaps this week. And that mm. is Carlos Dunlap of the Seattle Seahawks. He played seven snaps, BLG, but he's responsible in those seven snaps for an eight-point swing in this game. He sacked Jimmy Garoppolo in the third quarter in the end zone that resulted in a safety for the Seahawks and tied the game. And then on fourth down from the six-yard line at the end of the game, Dunlap is the one that deflects Jimmy Garoppolo's pass, which would have been caught by a wide-open Trent Shurfield in the end zone. So that's an eight-point swing for Dunlap in just seven plays. To me, that gets the MVP. 
Uh, totally not biased at all. Stats of the 49ers being involved here. Uh, it's a big loss for the 49ers, who we know always struggle against uh, your favorite team, the Seattle Seahawks, uh, and your favorite quarterback, Russell Wilson. It's like it's obviously too little, too late for the Seahawks here. They're four and eight. They're they're currently the 15th seed in the <laughs> NFC playoff fixture. Like, uh, unless like they really just run the table and get some help here, you know, I, I you know they're not doing anything. But it drops the 49ers down to the seventh seed, which is a big deal because you know there's competition there. The Eagles are kind of right there. Obviously, the 49ers have a tiebreaker over them. The Vikings just had a really bad loss, and we'll get to that. Uh, they're hanging around. Eh, then you get like the Panthers and Falcons and Saints, and eh. So maybe the 49ers still end up making it. But uh, yeah, not great. How are you feeling about like so? You know, this team always beats the 49ers stats. So like, does that kind of lessen your worry at all just because that's what you expect um it it lessens my worry that the seahawks are going to make some sort of crazy run here because they have four wins but two of them have come against the 49ers the 49ers are not that good like they're they're okay but they can win against anybody and they can lose against anybody and i didn't pick carlos dunlap to talk about the 49ers i wanted to give him some love but i mean san francisco is there they get what they deserve as long as they stick with Jimmy Garoppolo, they get what they deserve. Garoppolo was terrible in this game, just like he almost always is. More turnovers. He took that sack in the end zone that I mentioned. As long as they refuse to go to Trey Lance, hell, you could have used Trey Lance at the end of that game, right? At the six-yard line. They had four chances. They couldn't score. Kyle Shanahan was asked afterwards, were you tempted at all to put in Trey Lance? And he said, no, I wasn't. He hasn't played in two months. Like, what? first of all, you can't use Trey Lance because you haven't been using Trey Lance. And second of all, I don't know if you know this, Kyle Shanahan, but coming into the game after long stretches of not playing is the exact job description of a backup quarterback. That's literally what they do. So it's just stupid there in San Francisco. So they get what they deserve. Who is your first of two LVP stats? All right. Well, let's just get into it because I know you're going to disagree with me. I'm giving the LVP to the Minnesota Vikings defense. And I know mm. that you're going to try and blame Kirk Cousins for this one. But the fact of the matter is, when you're Mike Zimmer and you are a defensive head coach, you cannot let the Detroit Lions offense go down the field and score a touchdown. I mean, it's literally fourth and two at the 11 with only time for one play left. All you got to do is defend your end zone. A completion anywhere else on the field is meaningless to you. And you let Jared Goff stick it in. And by the way, it wasn't like Jared Goff made some crazy off-schedule play. It was just a regular run-of-the-mill play. And you go down and you stick it, you let them stick it in the end zone and beat you for their first win of the year. That is hideously bad. It is just, it's just over for Minnesota and Mike Zimmer. Like it's not working out. I don't care that they gave him a new deal. I was it before this year or fairly recently. It's just, he's not the guy. I'm sorry. It's just not working out there. It's time. It's running his courts. Um, <laughs> before I get to Kirk Cousins, I do want to throw someone in the pit of misery. They're not my LVP. Uh, but the Houston Texans, congratulations for entering. <laughs> uh, I mean, this is overdue. We could have put the Texans here before the season even started, um, although they did beat you know the Jags in week one. But they're actually the first team to be officially eliminated stats from making the playoffs. As I look at ESPN standings here, like they're the wow. only team that has that little E next to their, <laughs> uh, their team name here, because they are the only team thus far that has been mathematically eliminated. 
and uh, what week 13, like, you know, with five games or whatever left to play uh, four or five games. So not great uh, expected again. So I'm not going to get too deep into that. Uh, we knew the Texans were going to be a dumpster fire, but back to the real LVP Kirk cousins, who no. this is the guy that you and RJ are sticking your neck out for a guy who lost to Jared Goff and Cooper rush this season i don't care you go qb wins like at the end of the day you're sticking out your neck for this guy and like the box score looked better than he played in that game because he had a costly fumble that led to a lions touchdown uh that doesn't show up in his passing stats so i want to you know make sure to include that also the, the like the magnitude of this loss is huge no team in the nfl suffered a bigger hit in terms of their playoff odds they went down 19.7 percent to uh, 35.6 overall on football outsiders playoff odds that whole the, you, you I saw so I tweet at you guys after the game and you're like well Kirk Cousins led that drive uh, to put the Vikings up I mean they had five runs on that drive before he threw a pass so no he didn't even get them in position at the end of the game they relied on their running game to get down there and he had a bad throw on a two-point conversion that would have put up the Vikings six and would have at least made the Lions kick an extra point and maybe you know maybe they miss it probably not but you never know and here's my favorite thing about this stats Kirk Cousins is 2-26-1 with the Vikings when entering the fourth quarter trailing. When they're down, for all this talk that, oh, he can bring them back, no, he doesn't bring them back when they're down. And there's a extensive track record to prove that. Kirk Cousins, LVP, lost to the freaking Detroit Lions, who are the winless, who are terrible. They're a yeah. joke. Why and he almost he lost to them twice this year. Because his defense let him down just like they have all year oh long, BOG. Do you know... In game-tying or game-winning situations, the Vikings' defense this season is 0-8. 0-8. They have not made a single stop in the fourth quarter late in a game where a team has had a chance to tie the game or take the lead. The only time that the Vikings win those games is when Kirk Cousins pulls them out of the fire at the end and doesn't let the defense get back out onto the field. Like, I know that Kirk is not, you know doesn't have the longest clutch track record in his career. But what I have said all season is that this year, way more, almost every single time he has delivered in those situations. He did it again last week and the defense let him down. So you can sit there and say, oh, he lost to the Lions. But he's literally he watching on the sideline, just like we are, as his defense wets the bed and lets Detroit score the winning touchdown with no time left. Mm, you give a guy the first fully guaranteed contract in NFL history just to blame the defense for not winning. Okay. Well, first of all, what's he, is he supposed to turn the contract down? Is Kirk Cousins supposed to say, no, I'm not good enough to get that contract? Don't no. guarantee my money. Okay. And the second point of all, is though, he's not deserving of that. He's not as good as people like, this is not a guy worth going to bat for. It's just not. It is not like it's never going to end well for you guys. You're never going to like what what is going to happen with Kirk Cousins? Were you ever going to feel like vindicated against me? Like what I'm is going to happen? How is he going to justify it? How? I, so the Vikings are going to miss the playoffs and you're going to feel great about Kirk Cousins because he put up some good numbers. OK, wait, great. Have that. Here's the thing that we have. Like, this is the like I feel like this is where the disconnect is. RJ and I are not arguing that Kirk Cousins is an elite quarterback. All we're saying is he is not nearly as bad That's not as true. people think he is. That's not true. RJ is like, oh, how many quarterbacks would you rather have than Kirk Cousins in the NFC? That's kind of like you're saying he's elite. 
Okay. Well, first of all, if you got a problem with RJ, take it up on RJ on one of the 10,000 podcasts <laughs> that you host with him. All I'm saying is I think Kirk gets an undue amount of criticism because he has no personality whatsoever. And I don't think it's justified. I mean, if he didn't score that touchdown against the Lions, what would you say, BLG? Oh, he's got the first guaranteed contract and he couldn't stick it in the end zone. But he does that this time. And now you say, well, he still lost the game. Like, there's no winning for Kirk Cousins. Where are the Vikings ever going with Kirk Cousins? What is their ceiling with him ever? It's, is it a team that wins the Super Bowl? Probably not. There you go. Okay. But again, I'm not saying that Cousins is elite. Ugh. All right. Uh, LVP point, my second LVP. I'm going to the Carolina Panthers as an organization. Great pick. They're on a bye and they get my LVP. That's how bad I think things are in Carolina. They fired their offensive coordinator, Joe Brady, basically like right after the games kicked off at one o'clock Eastern on Sunday. And I just look at, and I'm like, why are you firing Joe Brady? Because he couldn't succeed with the ghost of Cam Newton and Sam Darnold at quarterback. Like you're, you're pinning, you know, you're blaming Joe Brady for that. I just think that is asinine. Matt rule is the one that should get the blame and, and partly David Tepper too, because I feel like the Panthers went all in saying, we're getting a quarterback, no matter what, we're going to move heaven and earth and we're getting a quarterback. And everybody knew they wanted Deshaun Watson. And then all of Deshaun Watson's legal issues came to light and the Panthers couldn't make the move and they panicked and they were like, well, we told everybody we got to get a quarterback. So what are we going to do? They trade for Sam Darnold. They pick up his fifth year option, which is insanity. And then when it doesn't work out, when it turns out that Sam Darnold actually does suck, now they fire Joe Brady. That is weak sauce to me. The stew is just not right in Carolina. And I give them the LVP of the week. I think that's a great pick by you stats for as much as we just disagreed on the last point. Uh, I, I wanted you to pick this because if I had two, I would have given the Panthers one, two, maybe Matt rule specifically who I've praised before. And I think I like him as a head coach, but I've said, I very much do not like his quarterback decision-making Teddy Bridgewater last year. And then this isn't hindsight stats. This isn't like us, like looking at the Panthers and they made these decisions and they didn't work out. And like, we're crushing them now for it. We said this at the time that it was very, at the time they traded for Sam Darnold there, we were like, this is a panic move. They wanted Deshaun Watson. They couldn't get him for obvious, you know, circumstances for obvious reasons. And they were like, well, we have to do something. So let's just throw a second round pick and a couple other picks too at Sam Darnold. Yeah. And then pick up his fifth year option. And then they give Cam like guaranteed money that like too much. So they absolutely deserve the blame as an organization. It is pathetic that they fire their offensive coordinator and try to pin this on him. Like what was Joe Brady supposed to do? What more could he reasonably have done? Joe Brady, by the way, who like was literally getting multiple head coaching interviews this offseason. <laughs> like how does he go from that to getting fired? Not even like after the season is over. And also what's up with the timing of this? Isn't it weird? Like that they fired him. Like during, like as the games are starting on Sunday, like what was the point of that? They're trying to like bury it, but like I don't know. That just seems disrespectful to me. And like why? Like what again? What did Joe Brady do that was so horrible? Like I, I don't know. If Joe Brady's the one who was like, "Hey, we can get Sam Darnold, we can make it work," that's not his fault. Like I mean, that's not a great you know opinion to have. But like he's not the one who's ultimately you know pulling the trigger on the trade. He's the OC. He's not the GM. So like I don't know, man. I think that's pretty weak sauce by the Panthers. And they're in a really bad spot now. You know, they're five and seven. So in theory, they're still alive for the playoffs or whatever. But like, come on, they're not going anywhere. They actually have the third hardest schedule remaining in the league. They have to play the Bucks twice. They have to play mm. the Bills. 
And then you get the Saints and the Falcons as well, which aren't necessarily guaranteed wins for them. So nope. uh, they could conceivably, probably not, they'll probably, maybe they'll pick up a game or two, but like they could conceivably lose out. Yeah, I just, even if Joe Brady was like, I really think Sam Darnold could be good, like, no, as a GM, it's your job to recognize that that is just not the case. And instead, they gave up three draft picks to get him. They gave up a second and a fourth in 2022 and a sixth rounder in 2021. Like, off. And then to pick up the fifth-year option, too, it's insanity. Mm -hmm. So to blame Joe Brady for that, and I agree, to try and, like, sweep it under the rug at 1 o'clock on Sunday, as if we're not going to notice when a team (laughs) fires their offensive coordinator, it just it stinks in Carolina. And I thought that they had their like program together there when Matt rule came in and Tepper. And I was like, man, this is really impressive to me. And they have just completely just dropped the ball there. It's really sad. The last thing I'll say in the Panthers is that I think this is the classic example of why you can't give the head coach too much power, especially someone like new and unchecked and coming from college, as opposed to, you know, like Bill Belichick or Pete Carroll, someone who's actually, you know, produced the results. And even those situations, aren't always ideal and don't always turn out well necessarily when you give the head coach uh, that kind of power. But that's what they kind of did with rule. Like they wanted to lure him, I think especially away from the giants and they came over the top with whatever, like the six year deal they gave him. And I think they probably came over the top in terms of like, Hey, like we'll give you whatever you want. And you can't do that. You can't have the head coach be the GM. Like more often than not, that is a recipe for disaster. It's two different jobs. The head coach needs to win this week. Like that should be his main job. That's all he should care about. The GM should not be thinking that way. They need to think long-term and do what's best for winning over, you know, a longer extended period of time. And I think that's a big reason why the Panthers are in the situation they are right now where the head coach has too much power. And again, it's unfortunate. I think Matt rule might actually be a good coach, but getting involved in personnel the way he has just clearly isn't working out. It's two different jobs and it's two different jobs that are really freaking hard that even if you spend every minute of your working life and devote every ounce of energy you have to, you still may fail at. So for one person to have to do both of those jobs, it just doesn't turn out well. Even Bill Belichick in New England, he has not been a good GM. He just happened to also have the greatest quarterback we've ever seen, and that made up for a lot of his mistakes. Like It's it's incredibly hard to do both. Stockdown Panthers, terrible job in a big spot. That's going to do it for this edition of the Off-Day Debrief, part of the SB Nation NFL show. We remind you again, if you haven't done so, please, Drop us a five-star rating and a review. If you like the show, we really appreciate it. That's great. But if you haven't left a review, we need to ask just a little more of you. Just that little review will nudge us over the top. Maybe it leads to one more person hearing about the show or reading about this show that never would have known otherwise. And so that's obviously our business. It's very important to us. So we would hope that you would take the time to do that. BLG, we didn't talk about your Eagles at all today on Mm. the show. Give me like 30 seconds on uh, on Minshew Mania here. I mean, I think it's fun to watch him, and I think he is a better passer than Jalen Hurts. But that doesn't mean you play him because you're still trying to see what you have in Jalen Hurts. I think Minshew is limited as a low-end starter in the NFL and a high-end backup. You know, kind of like in the Ryan Fitzpatrick kind of mold or the maybe the modern Ryan Fitzpatrick and Taylor Henneke. He's that kind of player. He can do some fun things. Uh, it's really hard like to say that Jalen Hurts should be benched because Gardner Minshew had a good passing game. And let's give credit to Gar- Gardner Minshew. Like, it was a good passing game. Like, you know, don't take any credit away from him. That being said, it was against the team allowing the average highest passer rating of any team this year in the New York Jets. So, like, yeah, obviously have to qualify it like that. So, 
Uh, I think Jalen Hurts very much is going to get his job back. And Nick Sirianni said as much when he was asked about, you know, the status of Jalen Hurts uh, after the bye, unless, you know, his ankle is still bothering him, which doesn't seem like it will be. But if that is somehow, then, of course, Minshew will still be playing. Um, and it's a big game. It's, it's a, here's what I will say, though. Jalen Hurts' lease, I do think, gets shorter after this Minshew performance. If the Eagles go out against the Washington football team when they return from their bye in Week 15, and Jalen Hurts has another game like he did against the Giants, it was terrible, Like then it's like, eh, I don't know if we should keep playing Jalen Hurts because you have a playoff run opportunity in front of you. And I don't think Hurts will be that bad again, to be clear. But, like, I don't know. I, I don't think it's for, like, the rest of the season you play Hurts no matter what. I think there comes a point where if he's struggling as a passer – like severely, then you have to think about the change. I totally agree. I, I agree what you said about Minshew as a backup. Look, if I'm going to have a backup quarterback, give me the backup quarterback that walks into the game with the leather jacket, with the fur, <laughs> and the aviator sunglasses on. Like, give me a character as a backup quarterback. That's Gardner Minshew. He's fun. He can win you games in spots. I don't think he can be your long-term starter, like you said, but he can win games, one or two games here and there, and keep your season afloat for sure. But I agree. He's still on the roster. So if Hurts struggles, you go to him. And it's also possible to say, even if he plays well, like neither one of these guys is your long-term guy, and you're still looking for a quarterback in the offseason. Yeah, and again, to be clear here, I don't know that Hurts is a franchise guy either. I'm not saying like you definitely play him because he is the answer, but I just think you know there's probably there might be more upside there. Um, real quick, last thing on the Panthers. <laughs> like, oh. What if they gave up, like, you know, so the Eagles got Gardner Minshew for a six that can turn into a fifth if he plays over 50% of the snaps in three games. Like, what if the Panthers did that instead of giving up a second-round pick for Sam Darnold? He'd be, like, in a better spot, and he gave up less. And, like, okay, you have a bridge guy for a year. You're kind of buying yourself more time. And then maybe, you know, then you can swing the trade for Deshaun Watson maybe, you know, this coming offseason or whatever. So, anything. Anyway, last uh, last thing to crush the Panthers there. <laughs> no, I agree. When he was traded, I was actually a little sad that the Niners didn't acquire Gardner Minshew. Get rid yeah. of Garoppolo, play Gardner for a few games if you want, and then go to Trey Lit. Like, Gardner is – there's a spot for Gardner in the NFL 100%. All right. That's going to do it for this week. BLG, thank you very much. Thanks for not bagging on my 49ers too hard. I appreciate it. You've taken it easy on me a little bit. I always do. I, I am notoriously <laughs> easy on you. Yeah, right, except for when we talk about Kirk Cousins. Enjoy your Tuesday, <laughs> everybody. We'll talk to you next week. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. The Current Podcast is back with an exciting new season featuring marketing executives from the world's most influential brands. Tune in to hear what's driving conversation in the fast-moving world of digital advertising with unique insights from brands as diverse as Hilton, Instacart, Moderna, Major League Soccer, and more. And in this presidential election season, The Current explores what a national political advertiser like the National Republican Senatorial Committee and a major CPG brand like Hershey can learn from each other. 
Listen in and subscribe to The Current at thecurrent.com or wherever you get your podcasts.